good luck around the table on Thursday. Um, hope that goes well for everybody. Safe travels and uh, enjoy your time with family and friends. And uh, be careful what you say, right? And who you say it to. <laughs> Those kind of things. But uh, anyway, just thank you for, uh, for supporting me in this church and, and all that we do. Very, very thankful for that. And I thank you in advance for the thank offering gifts. So I saw a sticker on a car not too long ago, and it said this, God isn't mad at you. Anybody seen that sticker on a car? And I was like, what, is that? what does that mean? I've seen it before, but for some reason it really made me think when I saw it recently. So why did the, why did the driver of that car decide to put that sticker on their car? God isn't mad at you. Why did someone decide to make that sticker that says, God isn't mad at you? Do most people think that God's mad at them? Why would people think that God is mad at them? Does that sticker help anyone feel better about themselves, encourage them? Okay, I know that's a lot of questions, right? That's, just, that's what I was doing in my car. I was just kind of walking through all that. But it did encourage me, and I say that because it made me think about this series. It made me think about grace, as, as you guys were talking about, hey, we were supposed to get our, our money in for the mission trip two weeks ago, but you know what? We're going to show grace, and if you still want to go, it made me think about all of that kind of thing. And we've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote some 2,000 plus years ago to the Galatian church, those early followers of Jesus in that region of the world, and I've called it big deal, small deal, or no deal. And if people are going around thinking that God is mad at them, that seems like a big deal, doesn't it? I think if the creator of the universe who created all there is and created me and you is angry with me, that would seem to have a, a kind of a negative effect on my life and how I view the world if I think God is mad at me. I must have done something wrong or I must have not done something I was supposed to do and as a result, God is mad at me. And now I have this shame and guilt and I want God not to be mad at me, but I want God to be pleased with me. I want God to be happy with me, don't you? Don't you want God to be happy with you? Of course. So what do I need to do? What do you need to do to get God to be okay with you, happy with you? So Paul is, is talking to a group of people that have believed that lie, that God is mad at them. The Galatians heard the good news of the gospel, that God's not mad at you. And matter of fact, God loves you. That's why he died for you. But for some reason, the good news of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when he presented to them, it transformed them when he first told it to them. They heard the good news. God's not mad at you. They were accepted and loved by God because of what Jesus Christ had done for them on the cross. And Paul remembers how when they heard that message, he saw in their faces, he saw in their lives that it transformed them. It turned them into different people than they were before. It brought joy to them. It brought freedom to them. But then something happened, as I've been telling you all through this series. Another group of people came in behind Paul and said, Yeah, 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 we know what Paul told you. But God's really not happy with you. Matter of fact, God's mad at you because you're not keeping all the rules and the right rules. Well, that was a lie, but it's out there now, and some people were believing that. 
And again, this was a big deal to Paul that they were believing this lie. So he writes this very passionate letter that we've been going through and letting them know that's not true. You've been deceived. Don't believe that. So God's view of you and of me and of all the world defines who we are. Do you realize that? God's view of you and me and everybody, it defines who we are. And Christ's death on the cross, what he did on the cross for us, the suffering and pain and what he went through on that cross, that demonstrates that very view that God has of you and me, doesn't it? It's one thing to say, I believe you're valuable. I believe you are worthy. But when you do something like give your only son so that everybody in the world could live eternally, that demonstrates God's love, doesn't it? And that's what God did. So the Galatians then and and we today in this world, we should rejoice in that truth that we are free and we should be at peace. But they weren't. There was something that made them think they weren't enough, that God was mad at them. So Paul has spent time in this letter defending the gospel message. He shared his personal story of how God transformed him how he thought he could be a part of this legal system of obeying all the rules. And if anybody was good at it, it was Paul. Matter of fact, he was probably the best person in his culture and in his world at keeping all the rules. But it didn't bring him joy. It didn't bring him peace. And it certainly didn't bring him freedom. So he shared that with the Galatian church. And then he shared a defense by using, as we've been going through, these side-by-side comparisons about... You want to believe in the law? Let me just tell you what that involves. You want to believe in grace? Let me tell you what that involves. And he puts some side by side. He goes, what do you really want? Do you really want to be in bondage to the law or do you want to feel the freedom of grace? And he puts those side by sides. And now in chapters 5 and 6, as we kind of get to the end of the letter, Paul defends the gospel from a, a practical everyday living perspective. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, when I hear the Bible taught and preached, I want to know what does that mean for me in my everyday life, right? That helps me. I want to know the nuts and bolts. I heard some guys talking this week about uh, uh, some some folks that went to uh, different uh, technical schools to do engineering, and one group talked about how difficult it was and all these theories they had to learn and and, and that they never used. You ever hear your kids talk about that in school? They said, no, it was very practical. What they taught us, we use every day in our work. And I thought, that's what I like. Don't you all? I want to know how this actually affects me in my day-to-day living. And so Paul is going to do that in chapters 5 and 6. And we're going to look at chapter 5. Then you might go, wait a minute, Craig. You did chapter 3 the last time you preached. And then last week we did um, Pure Religion Sunday. So you just skipped right over 4. I did And I'm going to talk about that just a little bit. And for the sake of scheduling and time, I'm going to move, give you a short summary of chapter 4. And please don't think I'm saying chapter 4 is not important, because it is. But basically in chapter 4, Paul emphasizes what he has shared, and he kind of continues that same side-by-side argument in chapter 3, that any of us who have clothed ourselves, he says, with Jesus Christ by faith and being baptized in him, we are children of God. And he said in chapter 3, as he continues this argument in chapter 4, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, we are all one in Christ because of what Christ did for all of us. And so he does this again by the comparison, this, line of, uh, this com- uh, line of reasoning that he does with this comparison. He told the Galatians, you're heirs. 
You are sons and daughters, not slaves. Paul mentioned that in his prayer just a minute ago. We are co-heirs with Christ, not because anything we've done, not because we kept a bunch of rules, but because God loved us and wanted us to, to be with him for eternity. So he says, God made you an heir through the work of Jesus, and now you know God. And then Paul stops himself in chapter 4. He goes, rather, God knows you. It's one thing for me to know who God is or know who you are, but it's better when I really know you and you really know me, right? And that's what Paul's saying. You have a relationship with God and you know who God is as the creator, but God knows your name. God knows everything about you, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the ugly stuff, and guess what? He still loves you and sent his son to die for you. And that's what he talks about in chapter 4. Then in chapter 4, he talks very personally to them and reminds them, again, it's almost like if he's writing, he almost has to stop. And he, I think he got emotional because he's having these different emotions. He's so mad that someone went in behind him and tried to tell them this lie that God's mad at them. But yet, I remember when I told you the gospel, I saw it in your face, I saw it, the life change in your lives, how you became different people when you, uh, when you embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he talks very candidly with them. He says, I remember your joy. And he says, what happened? And he says, my heart is broken over their believing that God is mad at you because you're not being circumcised or following the laws of Moses. And so then Paul goes back to another comparative example from the Old Testament, Hagar and Sarah. And if you don't know those names, Abraham was married to Sarah. And you remember at the very beginning we talked about this, that God said, I'm going to bless the whole world, Abraham, through you and Sarah. You will have a seed, a son. And after the first five years, they go, uh, we still don't have a son. Then it was 10 years, we still don't have a son. Then it was 15 years, we still don't have a son. 20 years. We still don't have enough. Do you realize it was 25 years before they had a son? And so Sarah said, we got to speed this process up. I know what God said, but we need to help him out. So remember this great plan that you can sleep with my handmaiden, Hagar, and we'll just speed the process up. Boy, that went over real well, didn't it? It caused all kind of difficulties. And God's going, what are you doing? I told you the promise, and it did come, didn't it? I mean, yeah, it was a long time after he promised, but it, it did come. So Paul goes back and forth, and he says, There were two women and two sons. One was a child of a slave. One was a child of a free woman. And Paul reminds the Galatians that they are a child of freedom and God's promise. Because of God's promise. They are heirs. Now live like it. Stop living like you're still enslaved. You are a child of the king. And so in chapter 5, and we're going to read this, and it's kind of long, but I believe Paul shares here how they should practically live like children of the King of Kings. So we're going to read chapter 5. Listen carefully to all these things that Paul says. And he gets a little salty in this. So it is for freedom, verse 1, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you and to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one that is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Yep, that's in the Bible. You know, it makes you go, whoa. I mean, that's what I mean by Paul getting a little salty. He is saying this is such a big deal. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and this is where we're familiar with this part, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And again, I know that's a lot, but man, Paul is just, again, this is practical stuff. This is a big deal. Christ has set us free, and he says, it is why he set you free to have this freedom, and you're not living in it. And Paul is, is just brokenhearted by this. And so in this chapter, Paul tells the Galatians and us, and he uses this term in several of his letters. You know when he talks about, um, when he's talking about the, uh, the armor of God that he talks about, what does he say? Put on all that armor, and then what does he say? And stand firm. Paul says that a lot. Stand firm. Don't be wavered. Don't let somebody push you around. Stand firm in what you believe. Stand firm in God's truth in your life. You need to, people need to see that. Don't move away from your freedom and grace in Christ. Don't get knocked down or off track by legalism trying to justify yourself. I know what Jesus did for me, but I can do that myself. No, you can't. We can't save ourselves. We think we can, but we can't. And he gives us this list of do nots. And it's interesting here, he's saying, and you have control of these things. You have control of these things. Don't let yourselves... Listen, he's saying you have control of this. Don't let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Don't let Christ's sacrifice be of no value to you. Don't think you can obey just one law and be circumcised. If you are, it's an initiation into keep all of the law of Moses. 
And these people understood this when you were initiated. Uh, and even in the Old Testament, an alien, a stranger, a foreigner could become part of the nation of Israel if they would submit to circumcision. But that meant they were initiated into the nation of Israel and now they had to obey all the laws that Moses gave because they were initiated through circumcision. And he says, don't think you can obey just the one law. And don't be alienated from Christ by trying to justify yourself by the law. And then he says, and don't fall away from grace. Y'all, I've been preaching this in Galatians because I'm telling you the most important thing about the gospel is grace. I'm so thankful for grace, aren't you? Without grace, we are lost. Without grace, we are lost. And then Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And notice he doesn't say through the law. You don't express yourself through the law. You express yourself through what? Love. Yes, God gave the law, but how did he express himself to us in love through Jesus Christ? And that's the gospel message. And so then Paul goes on to this trifecta of examples, if you will, to get them to see how frustrated he is for them going back to this old life. Now, I want to note here that if you look at the Old Testament, remember when God sent Moses to Egypt and he told Pharaoh, let my people go. They were in bondage, right? For some 400 years, they were in bondage, and all of a sudden, they were set free. The Israelites were set free. Remember all those mighty... um, miracles through the different plagues God showed his power and all of those plagues represented a God that the Egyptians worshiped and all of those 10 plagues showed God's power over all of those gods let my people go and that was no small thing over a million people workforce let them all go and Pharaoh's like yeah I don't think I'm going to do that but God showed him you're going to let my people go but as they were taken out of bondage, when they were freed from that slavery in Egypt, as soon as they got to the Red Sea and they saw the Egyptians coming, what did a lot of them say? Oh, we should have never left Egypt. Send us back to Egypt. At least we were safe there. As soon as they didn't get the food they wanted, as soon as they didn't get the water they wanted, they, we should have stayed in Egypt. We want to go back to bondage. And Paul is saying, this is what you're doing, Galatians. You're acting just like the Israelites in the Old Testament. Oh, we we want to go back to that old way. He goes, no, you don't. It's a deception. It's a lie. And Paul's making a big deal and trying to get these Galatian Christians, and he's trying to get us to stand firm in grace and not go back to the slavery of the law. And this next section of the letter may be familiar to you. In it, we see where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. We're familiar with that. How many of you learned that when you were a kid, the fruit of the Spirit? You remember? I remember the flannel graphs. You all remember the flannel graphs? And the teacher would put the, the fruit on there, and each fruit had a, one of those written on it, one of those fruits of the Spirit. He put it there, and we, we learned those kind of things. So he works his way through the fruit of the Spirit by telling them not to use their freedom to indulge in the sinful nature, but to serve one another in love. Again, not in the law, not by the law, not required by the law, but because you really love somebody. If I do something for you, I want to do it because I really love you. When you do something for me, I want you to do it because you really love me, not because you're obligated. Does it feel good when you know someone's obligated? It talks about these battles for our desires in all of us to use our freedoms we have these freedoms and notice paul says you have freedom but don't use your freedom to what to sin you can do whatever you want 
But if you really love God and understand God and, and understand what he's called you to be and do in the world, you're going to use that freedom for good things. To engage in the sinful nature, you can do that, which points to our selfish, fleshly desires. You can do that. Or you can engage in the Spirit, which points us to living like Jesus. In this situation, I can do whatever I want, but am I going to do what Jesus would do or I'm going to do what Craig wants? And he says, you have that choice to make. And then Paul says, these two, the fleshly nature and the spirit nature, they're in direct opposition to each other so that you don't just do whatever you want. It's clear what you can choose to do. And Paul says, you don't simply do just whatever you want. And then Paul shares what he calls the obvious acts of this sinful nature. And he lists all those, as you heard, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred and discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies. All those are things that you have the freedom to do anytime you want. But when we look at those things, and we may say, oh yeah, that's not me on the first two or three, but in the middle there I get a little convicted. Selfish ambition, dissensions, faction, discord, jealousy, envy. See, those are things you can't really see. Some of those other ones you can see. Look what Craig's doing. But sometimes there's things in my heart and in my mind that you can't see that I'm doing. But they're obvious, Paul says. They're obvious to God. They're sinful in nature. And you have the freedom to do those, but where do all those lead? And Paul says, I remind you like I did the first time, that those who live like this, those who practice those things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus came, so that you could inherit the kingdom of God. He died so that you could become an heir. You are heirs, your sons, your daughters of the king of God. So why are you forfeiting your inheritance by doing those things that bring harm to you and harm to other people? And then Paul says, but there's another way to go. And that's to live by the Spirit. And notice he doesn't say... Here are the acts of the Spirit. He, didn't, he could have said that. Here's the acts of the Spirit, and he could have listed all these things. But he doesn't. What does he call it? Fruit. Why didn't he just say the acts? The acts of, of, the, of the flesh are this. The acts of the Spirit are this. But he doesn't. He goes, the acts of the, of the flesh are this. And then he says, the fruit of the Spirit is this. Well, this is what I believe he does. Does fruit just appear at your house magically? No. It, is a, it's, it has to grow, right? It has to grow. It, it is a process involving a seed that goes into soil, and that soil is covered up, and somehow that seed sprouts up with sunlight, with soil, with water, and the development of the plant, and then there's the formation of the fruit until it's ready, right? And then we go to Kroger or Publix or wherever, and we get it. But it was a process way before we just reached on the counter at Kroger and got it, right? Or whatever you call those things on the counter, whatever. It's a process. And to me, this is a beautiful picture of our process that Paul's saying of becoming like Jesus. It's how we are spiritually formed into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's something that we go through together. And think about fruit again. An apple tree, when it produces fruit, does it produce just one? No, when you see an apple tree, what do you see? You see a whole tree full of apples. It's full of them. All those apples are growing together using the same soil, the same water, the same sunlight, and it produces. A vine, it doesn't just produce one grape, right? 
We'd never have any grape jelly or wine or any of that. It was just one. No, but it produces a lot. Bunches, bunches of grapes are together. And again, do you see the picture that he's painting? How we need God and how we need each other. A banana. I love bananas. I eat one almost every morning. A banana, what do they come in? Bunches, exactly, we know. Isn't that, isn't that neat? So Paul is making this analogy from practical everyday life, and I started thinking about that, and I go, that's why he used fruit. He wants us to see that it's a process. Our spiritual formation, your spiritual formation, my spiritual formation, it is a process. And some days it's not a good process, right? But other days it's a great process. When a farmer sees that it's sunny and he just had rain all night the night before and then the sun comes up in the morning, is he a happy guy? she a happy woman? Absolutely, because I've gotten the things that need for the crop to grow. And God's saying in spiritual formation together, when I see the fruit developing in, the, in people's lives, it's a beautiful thing. And that's what I want you to develop in your life. Because you're my children. You're my children that I gave my son for. And so God created us to form this image of the Son of God together. In the last part of this section, Paul says this. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul uses the clear imagery here of Jesus' death on the cross to teach the Galatians to speak to us today in our culture and our time to how to live daily in the growing of the fruit of the Spirit together. And what he says is, he uses again that imagery of the cross, me and you, we have to crucify daily those passions and desires of the flesh. Because there's a lot of stuff I want to do, but I know I shouldn't do it because it's harmful to me in the long run. It looks good if I do this, you know? But it really isn't. We must crucify, we must nail to a cross, we must put to death our selfish, fleshly desires. And instead, he says, live to be formed daily into Christ by keeping in step, standing firm, in the Spirit. I'm going to let the Spirit guide what I do. So how is our spiritual formation coming along? How's your fruit growing in your life? You know, Kroger has this ad out right now. What do they say? Fresher than fresh. What does that even mean? <laughs> but you're like, hey, I want to get my fruit at Kroger because it's fresher than fresh, you know? But how is our spiritual formation coming along? What fruit are we producing? Do people see that in our lives? Not just that we go to church, not just that I'm a Jesus follower, but do they see that something in my life shows, yeah, I can see that. I can see it's more than just church to you. I can see that it's more just than a name to you. I can see the fruit in your life, and I see that you're doing that with other people. If I went in February to build a house with just me and Luke, that'd be fun because I love being with Luke. But it would ruin it for all the other 10 or 12 other people. that don't. That's what the beauty of that is, isn't it? It's doing that together. Doing that together. And that's what this is. This is what God wants us to do. The church, the body of Christ, doing things together. And we grow together. And we produce together. And are we growing or are we wanting to go back to another stage? I don't want to go back to where I was before, do you? When, when you talked about your, and I've heard your testimony, Luke's testimony is amazing. Luke, do you want to go back to that old way? Never. 
You can see the joy. You can see the transformation because of what Christ has done in his life. We don't want to go back. And here's something else I want to close with. God is not mad at you when you're not producing fruit. That's what he wants from you. That's what he wants from me. But he's not mad at us. I think he's rather sad. He's disappointed. And he's disappointed. I'm disappointed in you. Does that? If your dad or mom says, I'm mad at you or I'm disappointed in you, is there really any difference in that? No, they're still not happy with you. But I think it's a disappointment for us. I'm disappointed that you're not becoming who I created you to be. You're not producing the fruit that can help other people. I'm disappointed when you're not doing that. Why? You're believing a lie. You've been deceived. We're not becoming who He created us to be. We're not becoming who He created us to be and allowed His Son to die for us to be. So He's not mad at you. He loves you. He's proven that. So today we want to offer an invitation like we always do. And maybe there's somebody today who is here that's at a point in your spiritual formation that you know what, you're ready to crucify that old life, that old selfly, fleshly desires, and maybe even that legalism, and begin to form fruit. Not only in your life, but with other people. That's the beauty of the church, isn't it? We form fruit together. I'm surprised some church hasn't come up with a name with fruit, you know, because there's a lot of kind of weird names of churches nowadays. But somebody had come up with the, I don't know, the banana church or something. I don't know, you know. But we're going to offer that opportunity. And maybe you're here today and you want to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you're ready to crucify that old way of life and never go back to it again. And that's what's so beauty, beautiful about the symbolism of baptism. Paul's saying that whole circumcision thing, that was not a pleasant experience. But that initiated you into the kingdom into the the nation of israel but he says these galatian people they have been baptized they buried their old way of life and they resurrected to a new way of life and they don't want to go back to that old way of life and baptism is a beautiful symbolic showing of what that means to be a follower of jesus so if you need to do that today we're going to offer that invitation so i'm going to ask y'all to stand at this time mike's going to come and lead us and if you have a decision today i'll try to walk you through